Welcome to Writer Writer Pants on Fire, where authors talk about things that never happened to people who don't exist. We also cover craft, the agent hunt, query trenches, publishing industry, marketing, and more. I'm your host, Mindy McGinnis. You can check out my books and social media at mindymcginnis.com. And make sure to visit the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog for additional interviews, query critiques, and more at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. The average family produces over 3,000 photos and videos a year. But instead of enjoying them, they are a source of stress and anxiety because you lack the time to create photo books. Memory My Way helps the modern family rescue those memories from the cloud into beautiful high-end photo books. With a membership at Memory My Way, you can get organized and in control, back up the right way, and everyone is paired with a professional designer who custom creates each book for them saving tons of your precious time. A monthly fee includes everything at memorymyway.com. With a plan in place, you won't put off getting your best moments into photo books again. Join now at memorymyway.com. Use the code WRITER to get $5 off your first month. The internet is made of people, hidden in plain sight amid our follows, likes, shares, and subscriptions is a picture of each of us, what we care about, where we've lived, and how we think. Every week on the Follow Friday podcast, host Eric Johnson talks with internet creators he admires, podcasters, writers, video makers, comedians, and musicians about who they follow. Learn a bit about their taste and, more importantly, find some cool new people to follow. Discover the best people on the internet with Follow Friday. So we're here with Fazia Burke of FSB Associates, and she is here to talk a little bit about different things involving being an author out in the world on your own looking to build your author platform, but also looking for those digital tools for effective book marketing. There's so many books and so many authors out there. Making yourself stand out is difficult. Self-published or with an indie pub and you don't have the money of a big five behind you giving you that digital boost to give you more visibility. What is like the number one thing that you would say an author that wants to do their own promotion needs? It's a great question. And to be honest with you, so many things are overlapping with traditionally published and indie published authors these days. You know, the big five is really important and obviously great for credibility, but a lot of the traditionally published authors need to do a lot of their own marketing as well, too, as you know, all so well, because you do it so well. Authors in general have to be thinking about their marketing, no matter how they publish. I would say the number one thing that authors need is their website, right? That's sort of the hub of everything else that's built upon it. So social media is generally a very sexy topic. I get a lot of questions about it. Uh, Most people call me and say they want to promote their book and they want to do publicity. 
But one of the things that's so important is if you don't have a website where people can actually convert and get more information on you, you really miss all of that opportunity. So I would say their website is the central most important thing. And you're so right about big five authors, traditionally published authors, no matter what the success level, you can boost and you can re-up what you've got. I've been publishing with two of the big five publishing houses since 2013, and I do a lot of my Mm -hmm. own work and a lot of contacting people and saying, hey, can I be on your show or can I come to your library? Would you like some bookmarks for your library or for your classroom? I I work every day, but probably only maybe an hour to two hours of that is actually writing. I'm Mm. typically spending two to two and a half or three hours just answering emails and setting up appearances when we used to do those, but just that connectivity, that putting yourself out there, and then probably another extra hour on social media. So you're right. When people talk about social media, that is something that everybody kind of wants to know how to do it, quote unquote, right. And Mm -hmm. in the end, what people are looking for there is to convert that social media presence into sales. And my experience has been that that's not necessarily going to work. Long story short, in the middle of 2019, I went through a breakup of a relationship that had lasted for like 12 years. So it was oh, wow. it was pretty devastating. I had been so active on social media all the time, like always push, 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 push. And I just kind of stopped for about three months. I was like, I can't do this right now. It's just I don't have it in me. And to be honest, I don't think it hurt me. So if you'd like to maybe address that a little bit about like what the real goal is with social media, because I don't think it's sales. I think it's connections. Yes. So, oh my God. First of all, I love that story. Thank you for sharing it. I'm sorry for the breakup, but I'm glad you're well. Actually better. (laughs) That's always the goal when you go through a life change, right? Yes, yes. Come out better. You make such a good point. Social media is obviously really important. We all know that. But in a way that reader's journey, it's the piece where you create likability. I tell authors almost daily, you are the product. Like you've got to get over the fact that you need to promote yourself because you are the product. You know, yes, you're publishing books, but it's your books that people are going to want to read. So you have to think of yourself in that way. And when you think of it that way, you think there's a sort of a buying journey, right, in marketing. And I think about it as reading journey. And one of the phases is actually creating likability. For people to like you because that's when they'll want to buy your book. And I think that's what social media does. Because how many times have we looked at somebody's feed and instantly said, oh, I like this person, Mm -hmm. even without knowing them, right? We don't know them at all, but there's something about them that makes us feel either seen or heard or like something we can relate to or their aesthetic or their writing style or their humor, something about them makes us feel like we're connected with them. That, in all honesty, is what the biggest piece of social media is. Of course, social media also drives traffic to your website. For example, 50% of my traffic to my website comes from social media. 
been so many decades now with social media has been now, you know, everybody's daily practice. And I still hear from authors who say, I hate social media. And I'm like, okay, you can hate it. It's no big deal. You're probably losing that connection with your readers before, during, and after. And you're probably losing a ton of traffic to your website. So if you're okay with that, you know, you can continue to hate it. That's really what the purpose is, in my opinion. Yes, you absolutely, as the author, are a product, not just your books. You are selling yourself. And some people are uncomfortable with that. I understand. But the way that I have come to terms with it is that, you know, author Mindy is a certain person. And real Mindy, like at home with friends and family, that's a sliver that my audience doesn't get. Like that's inner circle stuff. Right. So when I'm marketing myself, you know, I'm selling author Mindy and I am pretty open about a lot of things in my personal life just because I think it's important to be with things like mental illness, depression and things like that. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. also it's funny to me how easy it can be to make a real connection. Like for instance, my Instagram is mostly pictures of my cats and my dog and (laughs) people love it. So I have a Dalmatian and I got him as a puppy right when the uh, shutdown happened. Posted pictures of him and his journey growing up and being a little pandemic puppy. Interestingly, in my area, I'm from Ohio, the whole county, there's like a Facebook page called the County Block Watch. And it's just like, hey, you know, there's an electric pole down on this road or whatever. Be careful. There's flooding on this road, stuff like that. Somebody posted about a loose Dalmatian. They're like, Mm -hmm. there's a wandering Dalmatian at this intersection. And I had three different people. And amazingly enough, I live very rurally, but these are not people that I know personally. But I had three different people contact me on Facebook and be like, hey, there's a Dalmatian. I hope it's not your boy. Is Gus loose? And I was just like, oh, my God, like that. And it it wasn't. He was with me. But it was so amazing to me that those posts were memorable enough and these people had interacted and remembered number one I lived in their area number two I had a Dalmatian and number three his name people contacted me and were like is this your dog and I just honestly I was so touched because I thought it was sweet but it was also just like dang I mean that just shows that it is effective yeah you're absolutely right and I think those are the kinds of things when something like that happens you start to go oh there is someone listening. There is someone mm-hmm. talking. Even if those people don't respond, you're connecting with them in a way that, you know, uh, is funny uh, and, and touching and, and all of those things. One of the things I always tell my authors is that, you know, when you're starting to build a platform and a brand and all of that, for a while, it feels like nobody's listening, right? It's mm-hmm. like they'll call me and go, I think it's only my mom reading my blog and nobody's <laughs> commenting. And, and I just tell them, just keep at it. Right. Just stick with it, because there'll come a moment when you're going to get that feedback and you're you literally are going to be caught off guard because you'll be like, wait, you read my blog. Like, wow. And it happens to all my clients at different levels. And when it does, we have a little phrase in my with my clients that I use, which is, you know, when you have a newborn baby and in the beginning, it's all one way traffic, like you're just taking care of the baby and you're not getting a whole lot back and 
And then there was a moment where they actually like look at you and smile and like the whole world turns around. And so I always treat that. I tell them their brand is like their baby in the beginning. They're just going to have to take care of it and feed it and do all of those things. But there's a moment that it's going to turn around and smile. And so I've actually gotten texts from authors who say my the baby smiled at me. <laughs> you know exactly what that means. <laughs> That's awesome. That's a, And it's a great analogy because it is very true. It does feel like you're just giving. Yes. For a long time. I started blogging. So I started the Writer Writer Pants on Fire blog in 2011. I've been blogging actively since then. And there have been many, many, many times. And I just I want to speak to that idea that you were saying that you aren't necessarily getting feedback all the time. Right. It doesn't mean that people aren't listening. Yeah. Pretty much just about every year I say am I really going to keep doing this? Because blogs are kind of dead and podcasts are the thing, which obviously I transitioned into doing a podcast alongside the blog. Now, I don't know if this is worth my time and worth my effort. And there's really no monetary value to it. Right. Uh, so I think I, I make maybe 75 to $100 a year on ads. So, you know, it's, it's really just putting your time in. Yeah. But I get every now and then, just like you're saying, after, gosh, well, 10 years now, I've been blogging for 10 years, I get that email from someone that is Mm -hmm. just like, hey, I love your blog and or you because I do query critiques on my blog and they'll be like, you critiqued my query and I just wanted to tell you that I landed an agent today or that my book got published today. And so people will reach out in that way, but also... When I look, so actually I'm going to go look right now. Um, when I look at my traffic, my analytics on my website, yeah, the vast majority is going to the blog. So people say blogs are dead. And I think in some cases they, what they're saying is comments are dead. I have to tell you, I am not with those people. I do not think blogs are dead. I do think the commenting on blogs posts is kind of a, you know, dated thing. Now, most of the conversations are happening in social media. So that I do agree with. But blogs, the reason you write blogs is actually for the SEO benefit, right? For the search Mm -hmm. engine benefit and for having something of value that people will come to your website to read. Otherwise, you're just basically saying, hey, I've put up a promotional website. I hope you check it out every day. If there's no new content, if you're not providing something of value, why are people coming to your website? Like, what is the point? They come once, maybe they look at your book or books, and they go, okay, great. And then they go, and then there's no reason to come back if you don't change it. Right. Right. So if your website is just 100% a sales tool, then you're missing out because Amazon and Barnes & Noble do a better job of selling books than you will. Absolutely. So, so if you're going to create something that is yours, it's got, I, you know, it's so funny you say, uh, Mindy, that you started your blog on in 2011. So I've been blogging for a long time too. In fact, I was one of the first bloggers on Huffington Post when Huffington nice. Post started, which is I don't even know when. And at that time, I wrote a blog. This is now, God, I don't even know how long ago. But I wrote a blog called, I'll take a a community with that book, please. That time, the idea that we had to create community seemed insane. I mean, this is literally pre-social media. But that was the idea is that your website is a place for people to gather about the topic that they're interested in. 
And blogs is a way that you communicate your expertise and your writing style, how well you write if you're writing novels, uh, and your expertise if you're writing nonfiction. But how else are you going to do that? And if you blog on other sites, which is fine, but you lose all of the SEO benefit. You're absolutely right. Majority of the people coming to your website are coming for your blogs and they're hearing about your blogs from probably a newsletter that you send out or your social media. Yep. And just to reinforce what you were saying, I'm looking at my analytics right now for my website. It's combined mindymcginnis.com and writer, writer, pants on fire. They both go to the same place. This is very interesting given what we were just saying. My homepage for the last 30 days, my blog page views is double. Yes. My homepage. Yeah. And interestingly enough, clicking on the young adult books. So basically my products, that is half of my homepage. So like it just reinforces everything you were saying. Home is me, literally someone Googling Mindy McGinnis. Exactly. And then twice that is people coming for the blog and one third is actually going for that product for that book. So it just, yeah, really reinforces that you yourself are the, the product really. And then people are coming for that fresh content on the blog. It's so fascinating. I love that you did this in real time. And I think your readers are going to take such inspiration from that because the biggest thing is the fact that you could look at those data is amazing. And so many authors don't look at it and don't know how to read it. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, that is one of the single most important thing authors can do is if they have a website, they have to know the traffic on the website because you can base decisions on what you do on your website based on that data, which is so, mm-hmm. so helpful. And just like you did, you know, you can stop writing the blogs, but that's half the traffic you're going to lose. Yep. Yep. So when they say, I don't want to write a blog, I'm like, sure, no problem. Don't write a blog, but you're probably going to lose half your traffic. Yep. Yep. And you were saying too, just about building. So as I said, I've been blogging for a long time. And so now I have people, authors and uh, publicists come to me and they're like, can we get a slot on the blog for this author for an interview uh, or for a guest post? So I'm not even really creating the content anymore. Other people are wanting the slot because they know it gets traffic and it'll get them exposure. So I host the interview or I'll um, give them a prompt for the post. And of course I still do call it the Saturday slash, but I do free query critiques on the blog. So obviously that's still me doing those. I had to build it. So it took years. It took probably I'll say seven years before it really became other people wanting space on the blog. Yes. Um, and the podcast has really just started to, because it was me at first, like going out, asking my friends, hey, will you please come on the podcast? Yes. You yes. know, and now I have to turn people away. If I said yes to everyone that came to me asking for a spot on the podcast, I would be doing an episode a week and I simply can't right now. Well, this is another, because some of your authors are, you know, not traditionally published. So another thing to think about, I wrote a book called Online Marketing for Busy Authors, and it was published by a publisher called Barrett Kohler uh, in San Francisco. They're my client. You know, we do publicity projects with them. I love them. They have an amazing mission. So I was thrilled to uh, get a deal with them and get published by them. But the reason I got it is not because just that they knew me. 
but because they had read my blogs. They read my blogs and said, you know, we've forwarded your blogs to authors. And I think that having a book with your advice in it would be really helpful for other authors. And so it's a very specific book because it's literally online marketing for busy authors, meaning not authors who think this is their full-time job. Not everybody can do that. You know, most authors have a second career and, you know, as we all know, books are not a money-making enterprise for most people. I mean, that was another reason for writing blogs. That's how many people have gotten book deals because they wrote blogs. You know, they wrote blogs on a certain topic. Like suddenly someone said, you know, this is really useful information. So if you're looking to get the interest from a traditional publisher, that's another route that people can take, which is blogging on the topic that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. And uh, something that I do in addition to the podcast is that I transcribe, I mean, I hire it out, but I transcribe every episode and it's posted in text on the blog. And that's all for SEO purposes. Exactly. I saw that and I thought that was so smart because that's one of the sort of the downside of a, of a podcast is that the audio is not generating uh, any of the SEO benefit, but you turn that uh, transcript onto your uh, website and then, you know, and then some people actually prefer to read. So it gives readers a chance to enjoy the content the way they want, but also so smart of you to actually have, get all of that SEO benefit uh, from every single episode. Yes. And SEO, just like everything else we're talking about, I know my listeners might find SEO to be um, a scary subject or like an intimidating topic, but search engine optimization, would you like to kind of like break that down into layman's terms of how that benefits you and and how you can improve it? I think SEO has been blown up to be a much more complicated thing than it needs to be. It's Mm -hmm. actually a pretty straightforward thing, which is when people do a search, does your website come up for that search. That's it. That's all it is. So if you make certain choices on your website, either benefit that search result or hurt the search results. People who have a business doing SEO, more power to you. But I think a lot of authors think that this is some kind of a magic formula and that you have to like convince people or actually manipulate people into coming to your website. I am not an advocate of that at all. I think what happens when people hire Uh, sometimes really expensive SEO experts to just manipulate the search engine. I've seen these reports. I've seen the Google Analytics on this. The traffic does go up, but people, the bounce rate is off the chart because people say, oh, I'm interested in whatever. They get to the website and go, oh, this is not the site I was thinking I wanted to be on. So the high bounce rate is actually worse than having people less people who come and actually are appreciating the content that you have on your website. So mm-hmm. don't worry about the manipulation piece. The most important things that you can do is, you know, make sure that your pages are named correctly. Make sure that the, the page is not full of graphics because uh, search engines really don't use read graphics, they read text. Make sure you have text on your website. Make sure that you are updating your website on a regular basis and that it's not just one word here and there. It actually is, as I said, posting a blog on your website. Search engines can see that you are actually actively contributing to this site. Uh, They will not send traffic to sites that are not being updated. 
Mm. So if you're not updating your website, you're probably not going to get a lot of traffic. The other thing you can do is make sure that you ask other people that you know, whether it's associations that you belong to or writing groups or whatever, to link back to your website. The more links you have back to your website, the more valuable search engines feel your website must be. Mm. So that's why publicity, online publicity is so important. And I've seen this all along. I started my company 25 years ago doing online publicity. So it's been a long journey. But what I can tell you is I watch so many analytics for my clients and their websites and things like that. People who've done online publicity, which means that their bios with their link back to their website are on different places under blog posts, reviews, podcasts, you know, video shows, the more links back to their website, the more steady their traffic is because it doesn't fall off. Whenever you release this podcast, people might listen to it at that time, but they could also listen to it six months from now. They could also listen to it a year from now. Mm -hmm. So the link that you put to my website is always going to be there. That's why online publicity, in my opinion, of course, I'm biased, uh, is even more important than traditional publicity. You get this kind of residual benefit from online publicity that you don't really get when people just turn a page on a magazine and then it's gone. For a long time, people used to try to manipulate search engines by putting like, you know, the Kardashians in their keywords, thinking that if somebody does a search on that, they'll come here. But you can imagine that is not really helpful. And now search engines don't even really look at that. They, the content has to be relevant to what is on your homepage and on your actual pages. People overcomplicate it yes. and it doesn't have to be that hard. Another example of generating content, making it applicable to yourself. So like I probably have never mentioned the Kardashians on my website. Yeah. So I've never had anybody come to my website looking for the Kardashians. Yeah. But the words that I do use very, very often on the website, query, manuscript, right. Right. critique, submission, right. publishing, yeah. editing, these words. So I do a uh, manuscript critique, freelance editing on the side. And I don't advertise. I don't do anything. It's just a page on my website. I have never gone in search of clients. I have always, since I put up the shingle, just had people flowing in really consistently and making a decent side income off of it. So after about a year of this, I put together, because someone asked me, they're like, where do your clients come from? And I'm like, I actually don't know. So I put together a Google form, a feedback form, and I sent it out for like a year to all my clients after we finished. And of course, asking for feedback on my editing process. But the most important question is, how did you find out about me? And I assumed that these people found me through the blog or the podcast Mm -hmm. or because they were readers and uh, they were a fan. The vast majority of them told me they simply Googled manuscript critique. Yes. And, and they landed on me. That's because you use it consistently. You do it on an ongoing basis. You're not trying to trick anybody. This is literally what you do. And they found you. But I would bet that that just brought them to your front door. Reading your blog, maybe checking out a podcast, maybe checking out your social media is what closed the deal. Yep. That's the thing. You can bring people to the to your website, but if it's a dated website where you haven't really shared any content, it's just a sales page. You know, landing pages are fine, but people aren't 
making decisions there. You've got to give them a way to engage with your work in a way that they trust you and they like you. And those are the two things that how are you supposed to get that if you don't engage in blog writing and in social media? That's so, so true. Make your pages look professional with vellum. Margins, headers, page numbering, font, line spacing, all happen automatically with every book you create. Generate eBooks for Kindle, Apple Books, Kobo, and others, or deliver a beautiful print book to your readers. Visit trivellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. Vellum, create beautiful books. We're all finding ourselves spending a lot more time at home, and that may or may not be ending soon. Who knows? But instead of binging another show on Netflix, because really, who can handle another crime drama right now? Have you thought about putting your skills to use as a freelancer? Hectic can help you do that. I've been poking around on Hectic. It has tools like time tracking, a proposal builder, invoicing, project management, and more all built specifically to help freelancers start, run, or grow their business. Check out gethecticapp.com slash writerwriterpantsonfire and see if Hectic can help you run a freelance business. Your first client on the platform is free. And if you sign up through gethecticapp.com slash writerwriterpantsonfire, you'll be supporting me and this podcast. Again, that's gethecticapp.com slash writer, writer, pants on fire. So I want to touch on something real quick that you mentioned earlier briefly uh, that I have only recently, like in the past maybe two or three years, become skilled at, which is the newsletter. I'm a huge fan of, in fact, I tell authors that their mailing list is more important than their social media. It and is. Most authors are like, what? I thought the social media is what everybody talks about. And it is true. It is what everybody talks about. But your readers, God, I don't even know how many times, but many times more likely to buy your book from your newsletter than your social media. Mm-hmm. And so I think when authors just think, okay, I can just be on social media and then I'm doing my part and I can tell my publishers that I'm doing my part, it's it's fine, but it's not as effective. So I'm a big fan of newsletters. You don't have to do them often. You know, I know authors who do them daily. I, I can't imagine doing that just because I don't have the time. For most authors, if you can do, if you feel like you have a really engaged audience and you have really good new content, you can certainly do it every month. Mm -hmm. But I think once every three months is fine too. You know, you don't have to do it all the time. You just want to make sure that the people who are interested in your work kind of keep an eye on you. Make sure it's not, you don't only send it when you have something to sell. Authors are like, oh, I have a new book, so I'll send it out. But yeah, but that's then it becomes a sales tool. And you're basically just saying, hi, just checking in. You know, here's some new stuff I've been working on. Here's some new content I've written for you. Uh, Here's a new podcast that I've created for you. Like those are the kinds of things you want to have on your uh, newsletter. And then when you do have a new book, people are so much more 
generous, you know, with their attention and their time and their money than they would be if you hadn't been giving them useful information. Absolutely. And I was doing newsletters wrong for the longest time, gathering emails pretty sporadically and more or less doing an email when I had a cover reveal and then when my book came out. And my unsubscribe levels were so high because people wouldn't remember that they signed up in the first place. I was getting like spam complaints. So they'd be like, no, you signed up. But it's like, no, they don't remember because it was six months ago. So what I do, uh, I send it once a month. I send my newsletter on the first of the month and I have a section at the top. Now for the longest time, I did struggle with promoting myself as an author versus promoting myself as a person that helps other writers. So I ended up landing like somewhere in between. And instead of doing two newsletters, I have one. It has a section that is for my readers and it just has news. What's up with me and things like that. But also like, this is what I'm reading or I just finished this book. It's really good. I'm giving it away now. And I go to my blog and enter to win it. And here's a picture of my cat. And here's a news article about the best new mystery books of 2021. You know, stuff for readers. Halfway through, it's the writer, writer, pants on fire uh, header. And it says for my writers. And it's got, this is what's been on the blog this month. This was all on the podcast this month. And then usually an article about writing or publishing. Right. So you're actually providing things of value and things of fun, you know, obviously connecting with your personal life as well. That's ideal. That's perfect. And, you know, you're basically, I'm so glad to hear that you do everything under one, under your name. That's Mm -hmm. another thing that I think authors get confused about. There was a time when authors were told that they needed a website and social media for each book. Craziness. And even now when authors come to me and say, but I have this business and I, you know, I'm like everything under your name, everything under your name, you know, it's one umbrella because you, it's so hard to create a following. You can't do it over and over again. Like Mm -hmm. you just cannot do it. So it's really important. In fact, I'm not a big fan of pseudonyms for that reason too, because it's so hard to create following. And if you come out of thin air, meaning you don't even start with a network that you know already knows you and loves you, then it's even harder. I've seen multiple, especially indie uh, and romance authors. So for example, they might write erotica under one right. name, yes. they write cozy mysteries under another. Yes. They use the same website. Yes. They have it clearly delineated. So it's like, you know, this is the spicy side and this is the sugary side, right? It's so smart because like you're saying, you're drawing on the same audience. You're pulling them to the same place. Yeah. Um, And you never know. One might like the other, uh, you know, might want to cross over into the the naughty and the nice side. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Only area where that does, where I think is a mistake is if you write for children or teens, Mm-hmm. And you also write something like yeah. erotica or something adult, then yeah. you definitely need to separate those two. Absolutely. I remember one time I was speaking at a conference and, you know, giving my spiel about why people should really think a lot before taking on a pseudonym because it's a, re- you know, it's basically you're launching a business under that mm-hmm. name. And so you want to make sure that it's not something that you just did for one book, that you really think it through. And one woman raised her hand and said, you know, I write erotica. I'm writing it under my pseudonym. 
because of my career, she was a kindergarten teacher. And I was like, oh, you no. absolutely need a pseudonym. Yes, you oh, do. Yeah. <laughs> you absolutely oh, yeah. need <laughs> But, you know, that's not the case for everyone. But I think any time that you have a situation where category that doesn't kind of mesh with the rest of your life or something, yes, I understand that. But those things have to be thought through. I was just remembering while we we're having this conversation, there was a YA author And I looked it up really quick to make sure I was reiterating the story correctly. September of 2019, there was an article on Publishers Weekly about an author. Her name is Julia Watts. She was a YA author, and she had been invited to participate in a teen lit book festival. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had, at that point, written 10 books for YA And they did feature LGBTQ characters. No one seemed to have a problem about that. Uh, There's a line here where it says, even Catholic Library World raved about her books. (laughs) So, I mean, there's... There's, there's, there's an endorsement. <laughs> However, it seems like a indie bookseller that was supplying the books for the festival Googled her and found out she had also written erotica. Mm-hmm. And it became an issue as to whether or not, because she published the erotica under her same name. Yeah. And then it, she was disinvited from the festival because they did not want to be promoting literally the name and have a teen or a middle grade reader even Google her and be like, Oh, who is this? That's going to be at this festival. And then accidentally pull up some erotica. So, I mean, that is one instance where you do want to divorce the two. 100%. Under those circumstances, I can understand it, but it is something to think things through as you're building your platform. And when you say platform, like what all would you consider falls underneath that umbrella of an author platform? Yeah. So I have this formula that I use with my clients, with my consulting clients, and it's called design plus engagement plus visibility equals success. A lot of times when I'm working with authors and they're, you know, working on building their platform or just starting out, they have a million ideas. And I'm sure you've seen this, Mindy. People have a million ideas about what they should be doing. And so I have to tell authors that not everything that they are thinking about is equally important. There is a phased way of building a platform. And it's important for us to focus on it in that phased way because then it's more effective. So the first stage is that design phase. And in that design phase, what I mean by that is how does your website look? How is your social media? Do you have a platform for mailing list? Have you picked one? Literally creating the bones of your platform. Because without that, the rest of it is actually a lot of work without actually turning that into something that's going to be useful for your brand in the long run. So what happens is if you have a website that's either dated or doesn't look very attractive or has 4 million words on it, you know it and I know it, this is a typical author thing, you may do other things, but by the time people come to your website, they're going to feel so overwhelmed and they're going to just bounce, right? So if you do all these other things, I mean, some authors spend thousands of dollars doing publicity and I look at their website and I think, wow, I would have never taken them on without fixing this first. You can do all the publicity you want, but publicity only really brings people back to some destination. 
that's the idea is that people will be, you know, might see you doing a podcast on another show and say, oh, I really liked Mindy. You know, she was great. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go look her up. Right. That's what people would do. Yeah. And so when they look you up and your website is dated from, you know, 1996, they're probably going to go, yeah, I think I forget it. Or you're not on social media. So here they are kind of interested in learning more about you and your dogs and they go to your Facebook page and you don't have one. Yep. That relationship ended, right? Like that relationship just now ended. That first piece where you can keep the relationship going is so important. So we work on design first, which is website, mailing list, social media, blogs. That's sort of like, what are we going to do? Where are we going to do it? How does it all look? Do we have one photo across all channels? Do we have a unified color theme? Do we have a unified look? It doesn't have to be identical, but you want people to be like, I'm in your space. Once we've done that piece, then we move on to engagement. And engagement is how often are you going to blog? How often are you going to send your newsletter? How often are you going to uh, talk to people on social media? How often are you going to listen to people on social media? Because people think you can hire someone to talk for you But I always tell them nobody can listen for you, which is actually more important. Work on that engagement piece. And honestly, the engagement piece is for the rest of your life, right? Like you do that piece, Mindy, and you're always going to be doing it. This is marketing. But for a lot of authors, they are all over the place and they're like, well, I'm on Twitter. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not that interested in that right now. Let's work on this first. Then we move on to what the content strategy is going to be. Uh, creating an editorial calendar. So it gives authors a little bit more structure to something that feels very daunting to them. And then once those two things are in place, then you can think about advertising and publicity and all of the other pieces, because then you're set to leverage that attention. So if you get a book review somewhere and someone says, wow, this looks really interesting, I'm going to go check the website out, or I'm going to follow this author on social media, or man, I really love their blog. I'm signing up for their mailing list, which is right. The most committed you can get is someone signing up for the mailing list. So you want people to have multiple ways of engaging with you once you've gotten their attention. And to me, that's what the brand picture looks like. You do it in this order and you do it all the time because obviously it's not something you do just for launching a book. You kind of set this up and then the launch of the book falls into that visibility piece, but it's not something that you do only when your book comes out. You know, so many authors think you just do it for two months before and a month after and then next time your audience is just going to be sitting there waiting for you to come back to them. You know, that's just not how it happens anymore. So that's sort of my little formula. And it it helps authors when they come to me and they go, what about this? And I'm like, that's not the phase we're in. Let's come back to that later. Um, just because otherwise it just feels very overwhelming. And I want my authors to have fun with this because it is fun. You know, it can be so much fun uh, if they just understand the rules and kind of the structure around it. Yeah, it can be very rewarding. I mean, like I said, you get those personal moments. And I've had so many emails that begin with, you know, I don't know if you remember me or things like that. But I've even had because I do interact on social media, I respond to the comments. And if someone asks me a question, like I'm, I'm going to interact. And I've had people 
when we were still doing in-person events, I'll be like, Hey, I'm going to be in, you know, Minnesota tonight. If you're near St. Paul, yes. come to my signing and somebody will respond and be like, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. What time? And I'll say 7 PM. Right. And, um, I'll, they'll be going through the signing line and usually they'll mention it. Right. They'll be like, I tweeted you today. And I'm like, Oh, Tara, you know? And they're right. like, Oh my God. And right. I'm like, no, yeah. I mean, I, responded to you I made a note of your name and you came to the event and I remembered your name and like blew her mind yeah it's amazing and she bought your book and because you remembered her she's probably going to go sign up for your mailing list right yeah, totally. now she's got a connection and now she wants yeah. to do it so that's kind of how branding works it's not some mystery it's not like we're trying to create a coca-cola logo for every author but it's a way to keep a relationship with your readers. And it's a long-term investment. It's not something you do just for the launch. It really is your every launch, I bet, Mindy, every book of yours probably does a little bit better than the one before it. And it's because of the work that you do on a consistent basis. For the most part, yes. I get that consistent and I, and I'm at the point now, I think I, I think I have 12 books out where, um, you know, on Instagram, for example, a bookstagrammer will be like, you know, Mindy is an auto buy author for me. I've done enough work of yes. putting out consistent yes. that I, I have people that are like, oh, Mindy has a book out. I'm going to buy it. Yes. That's, yeah. that feels good. That's trust. Right. And so you have built trust over your career by multiple, multiple ways. I mean, you're literally the classic case study because not only have you written good, consistent books, which is all people thought they needed to do at one point. Right. Remember yeah. those days. Yes, you do need to keep doing that. But then on the other hand, you've also built engagement with your readers. You've also given them quality material. You've done all of these things that have built this solid trust for you. And you know what's the biggest benefit of having this kind of trust loyalty with your readers is that they are actually immune to bad reviews even. Oh, yeah. Your core super fans don't really care if other people don't like your book. This is why you do all that work, is that your readers then become that loyal to you, which is pretty remarkable. And it takes a lot of work. Let's not make light of it. I mean, when you started this conversation and honestly told people how many hours a day you are putting into it, I think that's really important for authors to know because so many of them are like, well, I can do something for 20 minutes a day. What do you want me to do? And I'm like, okay, but I'm just saying it's going to take a lot longer. But the other thing is, and this is something I've noticed, particularly on the social media side. Now with the blog, I'm, I'm trying to put up content for people to really interact with and learn from. But on the social media side, especially Twitter, for the longest time, like I, I would get frustrated because I would put out what I felt was like, good advice, solid advice, really like, you know, listen to me about publishing or writing or whatever. And people would be like, okay, you know, or they would interact. I might get like retweeted like once, like for example, today, which I'm, I'll be tweeting this shortly. I just got home. We're in like blizzard like conditions here. And I had to run to the store. I needed two things. I just needed two things. I needed a treatment for a yeast infection and I needed Cool Whip. So it's like, <laughs> that's what I bought. I bought Monistat and Cool Whip. And I'm just going through the line. This is an interesting combination. And I'm telling you, when I tweet that, 
that gets all the hearts, all the retweets, all the likes, everybody, they're all over that. So it's like, you know, you don't have to put your, your tweet is not going to win a Pulitzer. Just be you. Yes. In fact, there was this funny cartoon I saw on the New Yorker. This was a few years ago, maybe even five, six years ago, but it was this man sitting at a computer, you know, typing and uh, really frustrated. And the bubble says, two likes, two likes. That post took me two hours to write. So yeah. yeah. That's, we all understand that. But I think one of the things about posting something like your shopping list is that it's so real. It makes mm-hmm. people feel like, hey, that could be me, you know? Yeah, and exactly. They feel a connection for sure. And not everybody is comfortable with that. And not everybody is mm-hmm. good at that. I mean, I've worked with authors who have 200,000 people following them on Twitter. That does not result in 200,000 sales. No. So it's not really the number of people. It's the engagement of the people who are actually following you. That is so much more important. Of course, you know, everybody likes to have the big numbers. So that's kind of what a lot of times publishers were also chasing. So everybody's like, oh, I need this. Otherwise, I don't get a book deal. Now, I think people are starting to realize that it's the mailing list where it's all at. Yeah, it's the quality of the interaction. When I speak about like, you know, here I am tweeting about a yeast infection. You know, if I wrote for middle grade, I wouldn't be doing that. But I write for YA and I write really edgy stuff. I was a speaker at a a conference for librarians. I said the F word kind of by accident, but, you know, it just naturally it came out. We get feedback and it was, you know, it was a room full of adults. I got feedback and, and vast majority of them were like, I'm so glad that Mindy is herself and is comfortable and it reflects in her books and et cetera. And I did have one person say that was really unprofessional. I didn't like it. She said the F word. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's fair. Yeah. Is it unprofessional? Probably. Is it also an active re- reflection of what you're going to see in my books? Yes, it yeah. is. So, yeah. So you're probably not the reader of my books, you know? Exactly. You can't be all things to all people. One of the things that I really work on with my clients is making sure that we're very clear about our audience. You know, when you don't know who your audience is, you kind of like all over the place. You just don't have an anchor. In my book, I have a worksheet. People can actually fill it out. And, you know, we don't know for sure. Of course, people, if they looked at data, they would know a lot more information. But Mm -hmm. even without that, authors do have an instinctive idea about who their readers are. And if they just push themselves, they can actually get a pretty good feel for where You know, if you just ask them, is it predominantly male or female that your audience, you know, and they'll be like, oh, I think it's probably this. Is your audience between 18 and 25 or are they between 55 and 70? And they pretty Mm -hmm. much have an idea. It gives you so much balance in terms of your marketing efforts, because if you are thinking your audience is 18 to 25, But your marketing, like you're marketing to the 50 to 70 year olds, yeah, you're not going to make it, right? It's not going to work. You've got to market to your demographic, to your audience. No one needs to do all things. And interestingly, you know, TikTok has become the big thing. I have people ask me, are you on TikTok? And I'm like, no, because I'm 41. I hear you, Mindy, but I think it's going to blow up in the next couple of years. And it is moving in that direction. but. It's not for kids anymore. 
Well, that's true. So like, for example, Facebook changed dramatically. The teens are not there anymore. I have a huge, strong following on Facebook because a lot of my readers are also adults, librarians, teachers. Right. So yeah. And parents do, you know, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you are so so clear about your audience. And I think that makes all the difference in the world to like really have that handle on it. But you're right, TikTok and now Clubhouse is pretty cool. And we'll see if that takes off and whether it's going to, you know, it's always fun because I've been doing this for so long now, you know, God, 25 years. I've seen a lot of the platforms come literally before my eyes and see which ones take off and which ones don't. And Google Plus was a disaster, as we all know. Yeah, terrible. 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 I love these kind of digital tools because you kind of see which ones are resonating, why they're resonating, why now. Um, so it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see where it goes. But yeah, I hear well, you. And it is a good point that you make because you don't know what the next thing thing is going to be. And so I make it a point, like if something, I have a Clubhouse account and I've never used it yet. I mean, it kind of just became mm-hmm. a thing. I try to get in if there's something that looks like it might be big. Now, TikTok, not so much, but that's like I said, partially because also like when it started, it was so much about dancing and I have no moves. Things like Clubhouse. And then there was something that was supposed to be the new Facebook that was called Ello that was that was around briefly. That Vine, those things. It's like I go in and I get my name. That's great. That's so smart. You make a really good point is that you do need to grab your name, especially if you have a common name. So you definitely Mm -hmm. want to grab it just in case. But the other thing, because authors just feel very overwhelmed, they're like, I'm just starting to get a handle on Instagram, for God's sake. Like what? I generally tell them that they don't have to be an early adopter. But yes, you're right. You want to go get your name at least, you know, as soon as you can, just in case. Last thing, why don't you let my listeners know where they can find you and your services online? I tell people that the reason I married my husband is because I got the Irish last name, which is Burke, and my first name is Persian. So there's only one Fazia Burke out there, which is the benefit of, of having a very unusual combination and name. So you can literally search my name. It's Fazia Burke. You'll find me. It's FaziaBurke.com is my website. My company website is FSBAssociates.com. We have a platform for building author website, which is PubSite. So it's Fazia, F-A-U-Z-I-A-B-U-R-K-E.com. Writer, Writer, Pants on Fire is produced by Mindy McGinnis. Music by Jack Corbel. Don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews, writing advice, and publication tips at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.